0: Welcome back to another episode of this podcast called The Giggle Economy. I'm your host, as always, David Moscoro, a currently quarantined comedian living in Austin, Texas, waiting to get back on stage and tell jokes. But in the meantime, I'm here on the Internet, sitting down and talking to people about the jobs that make them who they are. And I hope that you're excited about that because we have a really good episode for you. Episode number six coming to you very soon. Appreciate everyone that checking out the podcast so far. We've we've had some really good numbers. I want to thank everybody all around the world. We have we've had more and more. I think we had last time. I said we had some people in Indonesia, some people in Vietnam, and all over America. And now we're having all sorts of international people. So thank you so much to everyone checking out the podcast. It's so cool to see who downloads the podcast and where they're downloading it. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to go do us a favor, this as this is a free podcast, no advertisers, no commercials on this, just the podcast interview, and that's it. You could do us a big favor by going over to iTunes and write us a five-star review. Five-star reviews help us get pushed up in the iTunes chart, help the podcast grow and grow. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to send us a message because uh, you want to reach out to me or reach out to somebody in the podcast and you want to know more about them, I'm happy to send them a message. You can send us a met- message at Gmail. Go to giggleeconomy at gmail.com, giggle Economy at Gmail. Also, if you want to reach out on our social media, you can do that at David Mascoro on Twitter, Instagram, uh Facebook, all that stuff. And I'll add you back and all that fun stuff and what we can uh you can see all the updates as they come out and everything like that. Appreciate everything. Uh I hope like I said your your last month of 2020. It's it's all winding down. This this interesting, horrible, weird, sad um it just fascinating but also a uh, frustrating year is coming to an end uh, as as this podcast continues. So um, we're gonna see what how how the next year is gonna go. Hopefully, you know we got the vaccine coming, so that's exciting. Hopefully, uh, everyone's gonna take it. Hopefully, hopefully, everyone's staying safe. Numbers are spiking all over the place. I want to make sure everyone, if you can, make sure you wear your mask if you're out, or just stay inside and get everything delivered. If you have to go out there and work, be careful. Make sure you're using your hand a sanitizer. Make sure you're washing your hands. I know it gets said over and over again, but you know, every little bit makes a difference. We're gonna get right into this episode. This is episode number six with Caroline Smith. Caroline's a wonderful person, comedian, show producer, uh, photographer. I think this episode is really fun, and you're gonna find find out a lot about her and a lot about the work that she did to make her, make her her who she is today. And it's really funny, I, 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 I we kind of went on, <laughs> we went over a little, every episode's about an hour, but we went over a little bit, uh, I think an hour and 10 minutes, which is really fun, and I hope you enjoy it. So uh, if you do, make sure you share it on us, make sure, like I said, write us a review, share it. If you share it, uh, I'll make sure to shout you out, make sure just tag at David Moscoro on there, or, or uh, Caroline Smith, all, all the stuff will be on there, so you can follow her or me. And without further ado, we're going to go right into this podcast, episode number six with Caroline Smith coming at you in three, two, one, now. (laughs) I'm having a day. I'm wearing this hat because my hair is not done and ready for uh, <laughs> to be to be seen by people. I kind of I kind of had a panic attack last night. Have you had those yet in 2020? Uh,
1: well, I'm an I'm an early adopter. I've been having them since like
0: 1995. So. Oh man, I, I, how do yours manifest? Because I can tell you how mine. Mine started like 3:30 in the morning. I just like was awake and my heart was racing, and then I'm like, I'm gonna be broke. Oh no, two. I don't have enough money. Ah, ah, this is every, the world is falling apart. I'm going to be, ah, ah, and just freaked out for like two hours and I couldn't get back to sleep till like 5.30. Yeah,
1: those are exactly the type that I have where I kind of go like in a spiral where I think of like the worst case scenario every single time. And then after living through like some other recessions, it's like I got through them.
0: <laughs> that is very funny about everyone living in the last, like if you if you worked in the last 20 years, you could say, "Oh, this is what is this? My third, fourth recession? What is this? My the Great Depression rep- recession? The Great? Now, what are they calling this one? They call it um, aside from the pandemic. They, they're they're calling it strange times, or they're calling it and these uncertain times. You always hear that." Yes,
1: yeah. oh, pre- unprecedented. That's Unpre- the word. Every yeah. single event every month is unprecedented. Yes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but they're always trying to sell you a brand new car at like so much money and they're like we know you don't have a job but today the new 2020 so-and-so so-and-sos are only available for fifty thousand dollars so get a get a new so-and-so and don't think about get on the open road we know we know that some things are closed but you know what's not closed the open road or whatever it is and it's like no i'm so scared i need to get my teeth cleaned <laughs> like those kind of things love to
1: get can i tell you a pandemic uh, panda dream story please do this sounds like a fable, but, um, so I don't know if you heard, I know you used to live in Oregon. I don't know if mm-hmm. you heard about how bad the unemployment situation was here with people waiting like six months on average to get there.
0: No, I want to hear, I, I saw some, I saw one of our mutual friends, um, he's an illustrator and, or no, no, it was, uh, Kevin Michael Moore. I didn't want to say maybe, maybe I'll, uh, he, he was saying that he got all his checks at one, one time. He was That's very, cute. so
1: yeah.
0: it's yeah. crazy. So tell me a little bit more about that.
1: So I thought, yeah, it took me like six months to get them um, because that was, it was for um, pandemic uh, unemployment assistant, which is what like artists and people who are self-employed, which I'm self-employed and I am lucky that I had everything registered for um, the open mic that I ran and for my photography business, because I probably could not have gotten it otherwise. But um, so I filed for all that, I had all my tax information from last year. Like, thank God. It just had it all ready to go. It, it took me, Because Oregon's system wasn't set up for that. Like, did you hear the story behind that? That they got money ten years ago to fix all of their computers for unemployment here. Um, No,
0: I didn't hear any of that.
1: I was using like um, code from like the the '90s, where sometimes like people who like wrote that code are probably like retired now. Most people aren't like learning that. I don't know the like the exact like um, technicalities behind it, but basically they they were paid all this money that's just been sitting in an account to update the computers ten years ago and they never did. And, you know, because they weren't planning on like this catastrophic, this unprecedented event <laughs> happening where like millions of people filed for unemployment all at once, and plus it's the first time that self-employed people could get unemployment.
0: That's I I'm so happy that you had all that stuff. Like this is the first time I think I've been talking to all comedians, but it, you bring up a very good point about being self-employed. How long have you been self-employed right now? Like, like with everything signed up, like b- besides gig economy, like not like you, cause you were, you've done photography and you've done other things. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Well, um, so I work for a company just two months out of the year doing graduation photography. I'm a, like, um, It's called a team captain, which is basically like sort of like a manager, but there's a lot of different team captains and we lead teams to uh, take pictures at graduations all over the country. And like I work in the, on the West coast, but they'll fly me to like LA or Seattle or wherever just to to shoot a graduation with a team of other photographers. But, and that was like really good money, but it's only two months out of the year, but you work like sometimes you work three, four graduations a day, like 12 to 14 hours a day. So that was the only W2 job that I had. But then I was doing headshots mostly for comedians besides that. And like I was just doing it in my house, but it was like I was having to move furniture like every day. So then I got a studio so I could just take pictures of people there. And it was going really, really well uh, until this whole thing happened. So um, and yeah, all the, all, the pe- all the people who are artists, like, you know, we lost our income because we couldn't perform. Like musicians couldn't perform. And those were all the people I was taking headshots.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it is really it really and Carol. If you don't know, uh, Caroline is a really good photographer. Uh, where can people find your photography? Do you have like an Instagram for your photography?
1: Yeah, um, I'm pivoting to more fashion photography, but I want to do like regular people like um, doing fashion stuff. Um, I or just wearing like their favorite clothes. So if you look on, it's starry eyed Carolina. On, I'm not gonna. I guess they can't really see me. Anymore.
0: And we'll we'll put in links and everything like that. But like, yeah. I, I've been really inspired because I've always loved photography and I've always looked when I saw your, uh, you've been you've been taking headshots of comedians and really, really, really great headshots. I've seen like your work all over the place, but uh, it's always an inspiration to see. And that must stink because I don't know for if it's the same as comedy. Like I remember before the pandemic, I was feeling a little like, oh, I do I want to go to a mic? Do I want to go to a show? Do I want to, yeah. do I want to, and then I was, and then I'll, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it got taken away from me, and now now I'm like, oh, I miss it so much. But there's that there's that kind of thing when you create art, and you I'm not sure if it's there for photography. You kind of have to be in the right mindset. And now when you're in a panicked mindset, it's kind of it kind of exhausts you even to think about making art or anything like that.
1: Yeah, to do anything like I'm like proud of myself for like I exercise like a few times a week. I shower every day. That's like my baseline, my minimum thing I have to do is shower.
0: That's real, that's, and I know that sounds like a, like a min like a very like, oh yeah, but you really do have to kind of keep on living because you kind of feel like I've I've never been, I've never experienced anything like jail or prison, but this solitary confinement has been exhausting to live through.
1: Yeah. It's like you, I'm trying to get, you know, you try to have your little routines and stuff. And like, I mean, I cooked like pretty often before this, but now it's like, I just cook these elaborate meals and uh, and plan these elaborate meals. It's like the only little like serotonin boost. I get sometimes during the day and it's like, you know, you can only watch so many hours of TV a day. Exa- I,
0: th- I think that's an interesting way to think, cause I've always, uh, the, the way the podcast started off is just about jobs, but you know what? Jobs can also be a way to make the day go through and whether you have a good job or a bad job, I am thinking think we cut, you cut off, but like, how do you feel like about the mentality of what a job means to you? What does it mean in the broader scope of it?
1: Well, it gives you purpose. It makes you. It gives you a reason. Like for some, so many people, um, their entire identity is their job or like the title that they have. And I think I've really seen a lot of people in the last year who are comedians. It's like they think like their number one identity is being a comedian. And then, like, if you're not doing comedy, what are you then?
0: It's it's a hard it's a hard thing, and it's not just it's not just the telling you know jokes it's like it's not just being funny in front of straight it also like you kind I of i don't know it's just it's it is very strange you kind of i did the podcast because I, I wanted to have an outlet to let people know that i'm one i'm okay and two i can feel creative and three it's a new, good way to connect with you like i was looking forward to it all day that i get to speak to another human being and i'm like i just need it i don't know about you like it, zoom is nice but it's it's going to be nice to actually be around human beings again one day
1: Yeah, I mean, I have my roommate and then I'm so lucky that I I met somebody and I got a boyfriend about six weeks before this all happened. And so, like, I mean, we socially distanced for six weeks where we only, like, uh, talked over uh, FaceTime or, like, we met up for a hike a couple of times but, like, stayed six feet from each other. And it was just surreal. It was, like, Victorian times again or just, you know, or, like, we were Mormon. It was really
0: you're going to start writing love letters to each other again. Like everyone's going to get in calligraphy in 2020 or something like that. I don't know what's, what's going to happen. Like,
1: Who talks on the phone to their boyfriend that lives in town as them. He lives across, he lives nine minutes away from me.
0: Right? I, li- I like that idea. You should get one of those, like those retro phones, like the plug in the wall and like the, that's clear and you can see all the little bits of the phone and More just, yeah, but uh, it, it is, it is so, as someone that's self-employed, you must have you. You probably didn't start off self-employed. Can you think about the first job that you had?
1: Oh yeah, so I mean, the very first job that I had was babysitting. But the first job where it wasn't just like an informal exchange of money is I actually worked for the Red Cross. Oh, sorry, that was actually Luke, my boyfriend, texting right now. Um, <laughs> Hi, Luke. <laughs> Uh, I worked for the Red Cross um, um, because my mother used to volunteer for them at blood drives and stuff like that. And it's really interesting. So I worked there for an entire summer under a grant during the AIDS crisis in the 1990s. So I worked for them in 1996 as something called a teen peer counselor. And their whole idea is they they gave out grants to areas in the 90s that were really hard hit um, by the AIDS crisis. There was a lot of people that were HIV positive. And then in our community, in our town, there's a lot of people that were HIV positive. And they thought that if they, I mean, it's kind of a brilliant idea, but it's, it's kind of crazy at the same time. They were like, you know, who's gonna listen to teenagers about sex is other teenagers. So I had to teach sex education to other teenagers and I was a virgin and we would go to like juvenile, like detention and like, I would have to like put like commas in a banana and be like this and this about sex, but I had never even kissed anybody but I got paid $15 an hour, which is better than I can say for most jobs in Portland. Uh,
0: that is amazing. I like the idea of the, of the blind teaching the blind on that one.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, I'm, I can remember being at juvie and, like, teaching, like, how to put a condom on and some guy raising his hand. And he totally had, like, the ankle, like, things on and stuff and, like, the van shoes and the, and the orange jumpsuit. And I was like, yes, yeah, you. And he was like, what's your favorite position, girl? And, like, I didn't even know literally didn't know what he was talking about because like I said, I've never even kissed anybody.
0: So You're like bed. I don't know. Like you don't really know. I
1: had no idea. Um.
0: Uh, I remember when, when it was, was speaking of sex ed that I walked in, I was from the generation where you would watch videos and there was like a male one and a, and a female one. And I showed up on the wrong day. I think I was like late a day or I would miss a day. And I walked into the classroom it was just my home room. And I got sat down, I got handed a tampon and said, watch this video my God. And I'm like, I'm learning about the female reproductive system. And I'm like, what is, and they're like, your body's changing. You may not know the ways, but it will be forever changed. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> like, so, and then I had to talk to the vice principal to like, understand, oh no, that wasn't for you. You're learning about the other side of things. And sorry about that. And then I'm like, okay. And then I had to go home and tell my mom, like, I learned some stuff about the female body. And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs>
1: I feel, I feel like they should teach guys about that though. Like, and, and separately too. I understand why they separate the kids. Mm-hmm. Don't want like, you know, boys teasing the girls and like vice versa or whatever. And I'm sure in like the male one, you guys probably talk about like wet dreams and boners or like. Whatever.
0: So much talk about wet dreams. I, it's like, it's, it's like a lot. You're like, what is this Nickelodeon? There's, I've never heard this much talk about wet and slime and all that stuff. I'm like, this is nuts. Yes. <laughs>
1: It just I don't know. I feel like why it would benefit people to learn like across about like How I mean,
0: how how long was your presentation when you taught sex at? How long did you make did um, you
1: So, I went in with like a group of people and there was like a facilitator that was older that was probably I mean, you know when you're 15 it's kind of hard to tell like how much older someone is like to me he's probably in his 30s or 40s but honestly he could have been in his mid 20s. I don't
0: Yeah, someone that's 25 can be any age. Yeah.
1: Seriously. Um, so there'd be like 10 of us that would go in and we would take turns doing it. And I remember we did. Um, I will say, like, it probably had a, more of an effect on me than anyone else. Because, like, I still always practice sex. And, like, I mean, I don't know if you remember that. I don't know if we can talk about this, but I don't know if you remember the great, like, chlamydia scare of uh, Portland comedy like several I, years ago.
0: I think we could talk about It's an explicit podcast. So, I mean, as long as we don't name names, I think that's I mean...
1: Yeah names or anything um so there i think and I, I i'm not one of the people that got it but so there's like 16 or 17 people that all caught chlamydia from within the portland um, comedy community and i was like well how did this happen and as i talked to people i realized there's a lot of people in our community that don't use condoms and i realized because you know i don't know if you know this but i turned 40 this year i'm a lot older and you know a lot of these guys that are doing comedy who are like 23, 24, and I was like, oh my god, they were born after the AIDS crisis. Like it hasn't been like drilled into their brain that they have to wear a condom. And it's like, and I'm not trying to like shame anybody or anything, but I'm like, I'm like you guys, like I cannot believe you guys aren't wearing condoms. So that's how that happened. But because I grew up in the AIDS crisis and I helped that teen peer council thing. I also saw, besides AIDS, I saw so many pictures of like penises and vaginas that had STDs and we had a folder and we would pass them around.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, before Google, I think that I did the same thing where you'd go through a book at the nurse's office and like, you'd find like, you'd like, oh, I don't feel good. And then she just have a book yeah. of venereal diseases. Do you remember the, like, does that sound familiar to you? And then you're like, what is this book?
1: No, but there was definitely like one of the counselors at my high school just always had like a prominent copy of copy of our bodies, ourselves, like yeah. just hanging out. I don't know if you've ever seen that book. It was written in like the 70s as some like sexual revolution.
0: No, I I don't I, I'm trying to think of like, yeah, that that the the sex talk thing, my dad did it when I was too old. I got the sex talk <laughs> twice. Like once at like 16. Once my mom walked in on me, like like kind of like doing stuff, and I'm like and I'm like, what are you do you I'm like putting things. You know, when you like get done with things, and you're like putting things away when you're a teenager. <laughs> and you're, like, and as a boy, there's there's like some like, oh, some scaffolding has to come down or whatever it is. And so like it was one of those things where I'm like, ah, I'm just, and I'm like doing like a, I'm doing like a Ace Ventura kind of, my leg is up, and I'm like doing karate moves to my mom. I'm like, what do you want? And She's like, I'm just checking on you. I just there was it was too. You
1: just plunge into like your teenage son's room. It's like.
0: Yeah. So like I'm all kinds of all I didn't. Unfortunately, I I think I I made it through. I've had STDs tests and never had knock on wood, never had any STDs or I I mean, the only thing I'm always scared of is just like, I don't know how like HPV floats in and I don't know about that. And like,
1: is the only one that i've had and if you have any questions i can answer them pretty well for you
0: well thank you i appreciate it we'll put a little link we'll put it like if you make want to make a youtube video we're like how to know if you have HVB, <laughs> that would be helpful but i
1: carriers
0: yeah and and it's just it's just a scary time i'm so glad that you got to do that before you had because that does that is a very informative time to to know about that and like it seems like for everything I know about you, I, I can tell you one job I know about you. But it seems like everything you do, everything I've known about you since I've known you, every job you've had is about some kind of caring for other people. Like the one job I can remember you doing when I when I when I walked in, because I worked right next to you for a while. Oh, yeah. I worked at a little warehouse, but you would I would see you and you would serve tea, and that's tea is a very calming and and people as I get as I get into this eight months in this pandemic. I am enjoying, I eat my dinner very early, like an old man. And then I have a cup of tea and then I relax and then I go to sleep. And that's been my kind of like soothing, calming instead of like, cause for the first six months it was like drink until I'm passing out. (laughs) And then now I'm like tea and yoga and I'm going to stretch and my back doesn't feel as bad in the morning and that kind of thing. So You've always been a kind of person that like said, so it makes sense why your first job would be with the Red Cross and $15 an hour, isn't it? what was the was that the time of your life at fifteen where you would consider all that money to be disposable income?
1: Oh my God, yes. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. it's every day. So it'd be like once or twice a week, but still it's like thirty dollars for two hours of your time when the minimum wage then was like, I think 475 or something. Like I felt ri- like all that money went to Delia's pretty much like the clothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask what, what, what did your, what did, uh, you, what did your money go to?
1: Uh, like baby, like midriff crop shirts and like glitter sandals and, uh, like flannel and yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a big deal. The first time you have like disposable income, like now all my income is, categorized and boxed off and this goes here and this is savings and this is this is credit card bills and this is rent and what what, what was that
1: it's savings
0: <laughs> it's it's a minuscule it's like a if I break my leg I want to be able to pay for it not like I don't want to be going to debt for breaking my leg kind of thing knock on wood oh my god uh
1: no at 15 I definitely was like oh you know my parents like insurance will take care of that I mean I've, I've broken a finger and I've broken a toe so
0: uh which one's worse
1: um you know the toe one was bad because my toenail turned black and it took like a year for it to grow out so I'm gonna go ahead and say that one was worse and wow then you can really do anything you can't really do like a splint like you can tape it to the other toe whereas I got like a cute little like splint for my finger
0: people always have the like right now let's see it's like you can kind of see I have a cut I have oh, a yeah card I have a cardboard cut because I got a brand new couch and I assembled it all together and uh it's it's nice to have a a couch but I remember I remember I dropped a I was making shelving at that warehouse I was working at and I dropped a shelf on my it was like a 30 pound shelf on my toe and the toenail fell off and I'm like ouch and I remember you would I would limp a lot more after that And it took about four to five months I think for the toenail to grow back but it grew back like bumpy like that cover is is that joy division the that co- that cover where it's just the 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 waves oh, yeah yeah that's what my toe looked like for a while there um did you ever have to work with an injury like that with a broken toe or or a finger like that
1: um i uh i definitely like injured my foot before also um because i i dance like i dance regularly. it's another job um i'm certified as a dance teacher i actually haven't like taught any classes mostly because all the gyms have shut down and i just got my certification like a year ago but yeah i've definitely like busted my ankle or my foot but like i still have to be on my feet so you just take some ibuprofen and just roll with it
0: miracle drug i always i was like this how is this stuff like how, like you just buy this stuff as I get older, I feel like an old man, but I'm like, I see hot and ibuprofen is just like my best friends
1: now. Mm-hmm. I Googled the other day, uh, how is it safe to take it all the time? Apparently it is not, it will start doing like shit to your liver and your kidneys. And like, I don't take it every day, but it's like the last time I took it, I'd been sore for days and I felt so good. I'm like, what if I'm just like punishing myself for no reason I can take this every day. Uh, you definitely shouldn't take it every day.
0: Yeah, I read the I read the warning labels on anything else, like on that stuff where you're like, oh, okay, no drinking today. Okay, so that's good to know. Like any any if you take it's either my treat is either ibuprofen or a beer. Okay, good to know. Uh, so you you worked as that. So uh, how long did you work at the Red Cross fully?
1: Just for that one summer, I think. Okay. Grant for that one year, and then so I actually um, I got a scholarship to go to boarding school but it was, it was when I was home the summers between my uh, ninth grade and, and sophomore year. So then I went back to school and I, I think it did, I think they, they had the grant carry on for the rest of the year but I was actually living like an hour and a half away,
0: so. Nice, and then what would be your next paid job or job thing, ro- role that you would consider a job that you would do?
1: Um, I think the summer between my junior oh no it would be the summer between my senior year and going off to my freshman year of college i worked answering the phones at pepsi where my mom worked because her uh the lady who normally answered the phones her husband had a heart attack and so she was staying home to kind of like nurse him back to health and take like some uh family leave
0: can you give a, uh, a a kind of a summary of what you would like if i was calling pepsi right now if i was like calling on my rotary phone Hi, I'm, I'm uh, like I'm, I'm waiting to, on the phone. What would you say at the when you would call Pepsi?
1: Well, I call them all the time to talk to my mom because she's bad about picking up her cell phone. I can do an impression of the lady that works there now because it's it, it's fucking like she's like, hello, Pe- Paula. <laughs> they live in Selma, Alabama. Who's always like, how down?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> so as, as Alabama like Coke started in Atlanta. Pepsi. So did Pepsi start in Alabama?
1: Uh, I actually have no idea where Pepsi started, but like she just uh, works at a very small, like dis- distribution center for Pepsi, but they cover a lot of like lower Alabama. That's pretty rural. And pe- I mean, people love Coke and Pepsi down there. Um, yeah, But Pepsi, like they, they, I feel like they give a lot of money to like smaller communities. Like they spot, you'll see a lot of like, um, Four boards for like you know high schools for their football team and stuff that's been sponsored by pepsi i think they're they're pretty good about like
0: i always eating. felt yeah yeah i always felt like pepsi products was a mark this is how i can tell like so if you went to like um mcdonald's they'd always have coke products but if you went to a small business restaurant and they had a they had Pepsi products, you're like, okay, I'm gonna tip a lot because this business just opened. I feel like no one's first choice is Pepsi. Everyone's like, well, what can we afford? We need soda. People need to eat soda, drink soda when they eat our food, and they're like, well, Coke's too expensive, so Pepsi's our next choice. It was the cheaper alternative, just as good in some people's opinion. I don't want to start a podcast argument about which one's better. Do you have a preference, Coke or Pepsi?
1: Yeah, my mom would kill me, but I like I like Diet Coke, um, and so she she <laughs> <laughs> one of the few rules she has for me when I go back to Alabama. She's like, just don't buy Diet Coke like in our county. She's like because like that's our competitor. In <laughs> but <laughs> I just like Diet Dr Pepper and Diet Pepsi. It has this weird aftertaste. Except for the fountain ones, like, I'm, did you know that in diet drinks, they use a different sweetener in the um, can and the fountain and in the uh, plastic bottle because they have different like stability factors for each?
0: I do. I do think we should all recognize the chemistry that goes into the sodas because people always say, and you're from the South. I, I'm, I'm from Texas. People always say soda fountains always taste better than like maybe yeah. bottled. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the sweet, yeah. So like the bubbles and the syrup are separate and then they're mixing. And so it's actually, it's, it's fresher. Like the carbonation is fresher.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I drink soda water all the time in my little, I, I like my little bubbles when I, when I do my podcast cause it help in my head, it helps my throat. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Yeah. Yep, I had,
1: well, I just finished mine, but yeah,
0: I had mine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you were, you worked there for a little bit and then how, how the, how was the pay at Pepsi? Pretty good
1: it was just like a summer gig when I was like 17. And I don't, I want to say it was like 5.75 an hour, but I just worked there from like eight in the morning to noon. Um, and then I was like free for the afternoon to go like swimming and do what, whatever, you know? And so it's not like I was paying rent or anything.
0: <laughs> but you still got to work with your mom. Was that, was there any, any weird like conflict or anything? Was it embarrassing to work with your mom?
1: No, you know what is actually like some of the weirdest stuff that would happen is people would call up and like I would answer the phone and they would start yelling at me like because something happened with like their driver or something. I I mean, just like these insane people will call be like, well, I'm switching to coke because your driver missed my route and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, sir, I'm like, I'm 17 years old. I don't even know where you're calling from, who you are, like. There was some guy that called up and cussed me out, and I remember one of the managers called him back and was like, Are you, sir, are you aware that that was a 17 year old girl that you called a cunt? Like, that sort of thing. oh my goodness, <laughs> this guy offered to take me out to dinner, and I was like, Am I going out to dinner with you? I was like, What the? Fuck?
0: It's just bubble water. Like, let's, like,
1: i understand people got so wound up about, like, I don't understand, like, I still don't understand what happened. Either like a driver missed like refilling their machine or.
0: It's, it's a big thing because like I said my parents worked in the restaurant business so I remember I remember growing up in Texas I remember it was a big deal to have Dr. Pepper in your in your uh, soda fountain and we couldn't afford because they were they were they owned a Mexican restaurant and they could do only do what they afford and we had Mr. Pibb and I almost now kind of prefer Mr. Pibb to Dr. Pepper even though Dr. Pepper is probably the better product Mr. Pib is just what my taste buds are used to I don't know
1: yeah so Dr. Pepper and 7up actually are both like separate companies and it's just who is like the main distributor in that area or, or who pays to have them. So like you can have, uh, so like that pepper isn't a Pepsi product, but I'm, I think Mr. Pibb is a Coke product unless they're a separate
0: one. Yeah. It's, it's just, I, who knew that this podcast episode was going to be about Coke talk all of a sudden, like, welcome, yeah. welcome back. Welcome back to soda chat. My name's David Muscore. I'm here with Caroline Smith. Uh, <laughs> we're on the line, Seth. Go ahead. You had you had a trouble with keeping your soda not going from fl- going, not going flat. <laughs> you know?
1: well, but like, yeah. <laughs> uh, mom reads a magazine called Beverage World. It looks, <laughs> like, like I'd rather read the Watchtower by Jehovah's Witness. It looks like the most boring <laughs> magazine.
0: <laughs> as, as someone that grew up in the South in Alabama, did you have any job that you wanted to do that you were like, oh, if I ever get a chance? I want to work that, like any specifically country or Alabama job.
1: Well, you know, I don't know. Did you ever watch that show Designing Women that was, like, supposed to be set in Atlanta? And the the lady starring in it, the actress's name was Dixie Carter.
0: I remember, wasn't Delta Burke on yeah, Designing?
1: Delta Burke was one of the main characters, and they owned a design firm. So for the longest time, I wanted to be an interior decorator because it just looked like so much fun where you just got to, like, mess with like curtains and like fabric samples and like that was like my dream for a while was to be an interior decorator then
0: i don't want to be an egyptologist so i like that whoa i never even this is how this is how over the head my thing was like uh i never even put together designing women that they were interior decorators i was just like is this some kind of coming to age story what if, i like Car- caroline in the city made sense uh <laughs> sex in the city made sense. like okay a person in the city, Sex in the City, The Golden Girls made sense. I never put together designing women at, at all. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm uh, on after something else I was watching because I've seen like every episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so you you wanted to get you get you went to college, you went to, from boarding school, you worked at Pepsi, then you wanted to maybe be an e- e- Egyptologist. Is that the right word?
1: When I was like twelve. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: so what, what was your focus going into college? Cause college is a big, uh, or, or the, your end of boarding school. What was, what was your focus that you wanted to do? What was your future plan for yourself?
1: Well, so like, I actually had started, um, like developing, developing my own black and white film when I was like 12 or 13. And so they had like a dark room and stuff at the high school. So I continued on with photography there and I started entering some contests and I won a couple of contests, like on the local level um, in like Birmingham and other places in Alabama. And I was published a lot. And then I entered like a big um, competition, not a big one. Cause it was just like in Birmingham, but it was at this gallery and like I, I beat everybody else out and I was still like a teenager and like the grand prize was like bought, they buy your print from you. It hangs like in their permanent collection. And so after that I was like, well, maybe I actually go to school for this. Um, you know, not. I mean, gosh, like digital photography wasn't even like around yet or anything. This was like 1997, I think that happened. So in 98, I did go um, to art school, went to the Savannah College of Art Design, and I majored in photography.
0: Yeah, I I remember I wanted to work as someone that got into photography around high school. I was obsessed with like, the idea of being like a Walter Mitty and working for like Time or Life magazine. And then uh, I thought Kodak would be a cool company to work for, or Polaroid. I thought, like, what a dream job! Like, how, what do I? Like, oh, do I get to design cameras? I thought that'd be a really cool job. Do you ever think about doing something like that?
1: Well, not really. Like, on the so, I've never been into like the super like technical stuff with cameras. Like, people ask me all the time, like, what camera should I buy? Like, what? And like, I mean, I did a lot of research before I bought the camera that I have now, and I love all the things that it does and how far we've come um, with technology in the last um, 20 years since I graduated from college. Um, But the thing is like, I I was always into like the printing aspect, Uh which is funny. Now I do all digital, but like, I pretty much learned fine art photography. And then like, I mean, I learned on like the very first Photoshop my senior year of college. Then I pretty much had to teach myself digital, like I've taken classes here and there. I worked for the nonprofit darkroom here in New Space for a while as a volunteer. And so like they let us sit in on classes for free or at like a greatly reduced rate depending on how popular So I, I, I took a lot of like digital and Photoshop classes uh, through them. But like, I mean, when I graduated in 2002, like uh, a digital camera was still like $5,000. It was like five megs, which is like, you know, your cell phone has more than that. It was like, people really thought it wasn't going to go anywhere. It was really funny, but then it ended up putting all these like old timers who were just like, Nope, I'm only doing film like out of business. I remember, I can remember biking around and seeing people just like entire dark rooms on the side of the road for a while. People just retired. They just didn't do it. So,
0: uh, in the South, did you have a company called Eckerd's? No. So I think that might just be in Texas or maybe the <laughs> South. It was a drugstore, but they did a photography connected to it. So like you would like you would go get your prescriptions, but also they'd go to the dark room.
1: Yes. Okay. we did have one of those. I don't remember if we had one in Selma. I want to say maybe we had one in Savannah. I've at least seen them.
0: It just sounded like it just sounds like a company that would be exclusively in the South. Like, oh, I got to go to the Eckerd's. I got to get me some Vicks and I got to pick up my photos from my my son's 14th birthday party. You know, like that kind of thing. (laughs)
1: got to stop by the Piggly
0: Wiggly on the way home. I, I, I been in Piggly Wigglies and I remember there was a lot of fun. I always wanted, that's was one of my, I wanted to be a stock boy or a gross green grocer at a Piggly Wiggly just to have it on my resume. I don't know why.
1: I know the name's so mean, I I still laugh every time I go back to Alabama and see, oh, I'm like, there's the Piggly Wiggly.
0: Right. I, you're, you're talking about photography. I remember how how much of an adult I felt learning darkroom photography. Like I remember, I start, the first time I ever did it, I was probably like 16, 17. And I, I take those small canisters. I did stuff for high school and college. I was on my yearbook for both. And uh, so we had the we had the little black and white because it was cheaper than color. And then we'd have to do it completely in the dark and then pop it off, take the film out, put it in this kind of spoolie kind of like that and then put chemicals in it. Does that sound familiar to you?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I had to do. It was always really hard to get the film started on the canister. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, some of, them, some of them were easier than others. I want to say like the metal ones were easier than the plastic, but it, it might have been like vice versa. But if you didn't roll it on there completely round you would get bubbles in your film and they
0: would the picture went it, it was kind of like someone said like here are your boots you have no shoelaces in your boots put your laces in your boots in the complete dark yep. but then I remember
1: okay,
0: yeah. I remember what I really loved was once you did the chemical you did the chemical bath and let that happen put the chemicals in and then you would get the the actual machine that looked like a gigantic microscope and then you would, you would put it over and it would like project the picture like backward. Is that right? Backwards. And then yeah. you would,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. yeah,
0: yeah. And then you would like kind of click it. I don't know. I can't remember the process fully, but you would click it and then you would save it and it would expose this photo paper. And then you would do the finishing solution. I go, what an amazing thing I'm learning for free in college and high school.
1: I know, like I really missed doing that. Um, I think the last time I ever printed a black and white picture was oh God, probably like 10 years ago which is so crazy. But um, yeah, so like right before I went to grad school I was still um, working at New Space Photo which unfortunately is shut down now. And I don't think there's any other public uh, dark rooms in Portland. I've heard there's still a dark room at Portland Community College. I don't know if that's true or not. but yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really weird to think, like, I became, like, I got a degree and became an expert in this, like, fine art process, but I haven't done it in 10 years, and it's so, it's so odd. I
0: find, like I said, I'm a big fan of your photography. I I follow your headshots every time they come out. I always love when people say photos by Caroline Smith. What do you think is the most gratifying thing about being a photographer?
1: Um, Well, Since I mostly do portraits, um, there's so many people that I have photographed who, A, do not like having their picture taken, or they've never been able to see themselves, like, in a photo the way they see themselves in their mind, and I feel like I've worked really hard to help people, like, be seen in their photos. Like, I mean, people look at them, and sometimes, like, they've never had a good photo of them taken or um i'll tell you about a new project i've been working on i just recently have decided that if anyone who's trans can have free photos for me so i've done two sessions and um you know it's like the first time they've had photos wearing some, some of like their new like some, one of them had just gotten like top surgery it was the first time she had had any like nude photos uh since that had happened or i think she said it was the only time she'd ever had nude photos Um, And then I just did another one a few weeks ago and we went out and had like a whole fashion shoot and it was so much fun, like having, you know, her look at the pictures and be like, you know, this is how like she feels inside and she's seeing herself as she wants to be seen um, in a photo.
0: That's such, I find that to be, that's what a wonderful encapsulation of what that means. Like it really is a beautiful thing when you think about it to try to make someone appreciate like I would take track photos in high school and like having people go, wow, I didn't know you caught, could catch a picture of me going over the bar or me doing a high jump. And you're like, it feels so good to like capture someone's little moment in time, wherever they are in their life and just kind of share that with them. Like you're kind of like co-op, you're, 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 in this cooperative process of like giving them a part back, a part of their life that maybe because as we age, we age every day, every hour, every minute you capture this beautiful little moment of wherever they are in their life and you get to give that to them. And I think that's wonderful. Thank you,
1: yeah. I think especially too now that there's so many just crappy pictures because of like phones. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've had this, I've had this where people take pictures of me when I'm on stage and they're sitting down and it makes you look a lot bigger than <laughs> you are. And then they post them to Facebook and tag you in them. And then you're just like, what the hell? Like that is, you know, and so like you don't want to be rude, but...
0: Yeah, there's those certain angles you were like, oh, look, I'm a Macy's Day parade float. This is great.
1: Exactly, and it's not, it's like, and I'm like, it makes me feel bad because I'm like, am I fat phobic? And it's not that. I mean, I was fat when I was younger, but it's like, you want to look the way you look. Mm-hmm. You know, and not, I don't, so like the phones are really bad because they're flat. And then um, I think, I mean, I've talked to other women about this too. Like, it's been really hard on some of us, like our self-esteem having to see these like phone pictures that aren't necessarily reflective of reality and how you really look. So when you get your pictures done by a professional, I feel like you can go back to being like, all right, that's the person I see in the mirror. This is like who I am in my mind's eye.
0: How much, how much empathy have you gained being a photographer? How much do you think that's Added to your personality like that, and connecting with people, and, and realizing that some people don't like the way they, their smile looks or they carry themselves or their posture. And you, because you took high, you take high school photos, and that's what I remember for me. That was a big from from grade school all the way to graduation. Such a pressure induced time to get those right. And I was in the time where it wasn't digital. It was like you order them, and then they that you either have fucked up photos or you don't.
1: Yeah. Or your parents can pay extra to get like the braces digitally or your parents are like, I'm sorry, but I'm not paying, you know?
0: Yeah. So it's like, they're like, sorry, David, you have zits on your nose. I'm not going to pay to fix those.
1: Right. Yeah. It's like, that's what your nose looks like. Um. Well, so the, the, the graduation photos, um, it, it happens so fast. So like we have three different positions. It's either like right when you get your diploma or it's right before we kind of do like a, a headshot. Lots of times it's behind like the oregon flags behind you um or like a high school or college banner and then right afterwards when you get your diploma and you're in your and gown like and it goes so fast it's like boom take a picture next kid boom so if they blink i try to take a second one really quick but sometimes we don't so in some ways it's really great because they don't have that time to think about it and then usually like they have the most beautiful most natural smiles because they're this is like one of the greatest days of their life they're getting there. Diploma, so I don't have to, like, work too hard to make them smile or anything. But I try to make sure they're, like, standing where they don't look crazy or, you know.
0: It is funny to think about. It. You're capturing a generation that have grown up with a tiny camera in their pocket, and you're capturing them at a moment that they're not self – they're not doing duck face. They're not doing – gut out their chin or they're not doing any pose other than just enjoying and experiencing that time and how important that is that that's just an interesting and gratifying moment can you picture a moment in, in all the time that you've done photography that really sticks out either a mentor that taught you something or a day of photography that really kind of changed and made your made your life feel very good for what you do um,
1: I mean I have like one like really like depressing example that sticks out. Um, it's kind of like a, a Debbie Downer, but I mean, so like, I'll, I'll give you this one and I'll give you another one. Okay. I did this one out. So during the last recession, one of the jobs I had is I had to take pictures of newborn babies at the hospital. And sometimes they don't always make it. So one of the things we did, and we could decline if we wanted to, was um, we would take pictures, what we call bereavement photos. And I only had to do one, but I had to take pictures of a baby that had passed away. And it was like, it was very surreal, but it felt like I was doing something like very, very important for the parent. I mean, like she was just like in shock and I don't know what, I don't know what happened. It was a full term pregnancy. Uh, It was a very big baby. So I don't know if that had something to do with it or what, but so I had to take pictures of this poor little baby and um, the nurses are like, why don't you just like pose them and do all this stuff? And I'm like, No, I'm, you know, so they, they had him. they just put his hands where they were like folded, but I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not doing like a fashion shoot with like this, this dead baby or whatever. But that was really like, I remember when the nurses came to check on me afterwards, cause she was like, it just looks like all the color drained out of your face. And I was just like, I mean, it's just so sad seeing all that, like, you know, this, all the hopes of this family just have to go to waste like that. And you know, I don't know. And I have, I don't even, I do not even know that. Well, I think I had a former, but I do not even like, I don't know if the family ever had another baby or if they had kids at home or like what, I just remember being sad thinking about them having to go home and like take down their nursery and stuff.
0: Absolutely. But you know what? I think, I think you did a good thing. I think that's an important, I mean, I have, I lost a friend this year and I I've lost my grandmother. I've lost some other people in my life and every photo good or bad, even like a side angle, a th- what, what people would call a throwaway shot, all of that is so important because I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older too. Our memory kind of distorts things. Our brain kind of distorts the way we remember things. And to see actually like, oh, I wasn't wearing a purple shirt. I was wearing a green shirt or, oh my God, that baby, like the features, that mother probably remembered as many features of the baby as it could, but she's going to have that forever because of you. And I think that's such a great, memory that you're giving to that. And I'm sorry that was hard for you, but I think that's, that, that's kind, of the, the kind of the sad and good thing about being a photographer. You're time capsuling this moment for this person and it's on the bad side, but it's still an important thing because life isn't always good.
1: It's super important for parents who lose a child to process it. So it moved me so much. I actually looked into volunteering for a foundation called As I Lay Me Down to Sleep, and all they do is take pictures of bereavement photos uh, for parents who just lost uh, their newborn uh, baby. Um, but then, <laughs> okay. So, but then you had to pay to vol. I was like, who pays to volunteer to take pictures of dead babies? I was like, that's where I draw the line. It's like I did want to volunteer for them, but I'm like, I'm not paying to take pictures of dead babies. You guys, like, come on.
0: Yeah. But I, like I said, it, it's still, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Cause you want to help out, but you know, you don't want to.
1: Who? It just seems so weird to me. It's like, why are you, and it wasn't cheap either. It was like a hundred dollars a year. It's like, why am I going to pay a hundred dollars a year to go? Cause it, it sounded like you would get a call and get out of bed in the middle of the night and go to the hospital. Uh-huh. It's just like, I can understand doing it for free. I was totally, you know, going to volunteer. Yeah. But it's a part of it. It's, a, it's
0: another part of the job, like uh, pe- people that take the crime scene photos, people that have to take photos at funerals or for autopsies or or for medical insurance. If you're like if you have like a very bad injury, there's a whole side of photography that we still need that like is not the fun part. It's not the sunshine. It's not the vacation. It's not the weddings. It's not it's not the graduations. And it's still essential. So it is a hard job.
1: Yeah, but are they paying to take pictures of the op? like? I don't know. <laughs> you pay okay to take pictures of these <laughs> I, I, don't,
0: I, I didn't know, about I've I never even heard about bereavement photos until you brought that. I, I, I'm so curious. I'm going to have to look that up after we get off this, uh, this interview, but I'll have to look into that.
1: Well, if you want to go back, there's a really long tradition of it called memento mori. And so like a lot of times, you know, families would have like a lot of kids and there wasn't, you know, as much like intervention during childbirth. So a lot of times, like, they lose a child or, you know, not usually not all your kids made it to adulthood, but so, um, yeah, the Victorian era, there's tons of pictures of people, um, with, um, children that, that didn't make it, um, like, and except you know, that was like the only memory they had. Do
0: you, do you feel like it impacted the way you, you process your own day to day? Like, do you appreciate life a little bit more? Do you like Enjoy every not to sound too much like a, a, a inspiration, motivational Monday meme or anything like that, but does it did it help you at any point in your life?
1: No, I mean, especially like back then, like during the recession, I'm getting paid nine dollars an hour to take pictures of newborn babies and like um so that was like our fallback back rate. It was supposed to be on a commission, but like people are taking getting pictures of their children and they don't most of them are also, you know, losing their jobs and they're just like struggling. But I did like there was a lot of things about it that gave me hope, like. Um Actually, especially a lot of like um, the Latin families that came in, like they would all pool money to just get like whatever the mom wanted. And so a yeah. lot of times like they would have me work with them because I speak like a little bit of Spanish. And so like and the other photographers were like, well, I can't understand them or whatever. But so I would go in and like we had different little things you could order. A lot of it was just the pictures or like mostly people just got birth announcements. But I remember we had plates you could get a picture. Of your baby on the plate and a lot of people bought those. Well, it's kind of funny thinking of eating off of a, I mean, it's probably hung on the wall. They probably weren't eating off of it, but there was a thing being particularly popular uh, with Latin
0: families. <laughs> it, it is very funny to be to think of like, oh, cereal bowls. Like, and then you just like, oh, look, my baby. Like that'd be, <laughs> that's an interesting thing. But that, that's what, another thing you got to appreciate about America. There, everything Everything can be a job and everything can make you money. It's just that gray area of like, should we? But I guess it's fine.
1: The people want their plates. <laughs> like,
0: it, it's supply and demand, and if, who are you to take away someone's demand for it? You know. So let's. We, we haven't gotten into any of this. We, we we've been. I've been having so much fun learning about all the previous jobs. How did you get into comedy, and why was that? So, and then like talk about how you were able to monetize. Like, because you've done shows, you've done open mics? How are you able to maybe make that into something that as an artist, you could benefit from just like, because of COVID now that helps you because you, you can prove that you were an artist. And I think maybe, maybe, maybe discuss about how up and coming artists can kind of help themselves because if something like this happens again, or I don't know, it just it seems like you had it all put together. It took you a long time, it took you six months to figure it out, but you got it. And if you didn't, you'd be kind of, you know?
1: Yeah. Like sidebar, when I was talking earlier about what I did with my unemployment money, when I got the huge lump sum, I actually put a down payment on, well, first I paid off all of my credit card debt and that sent my credit through the roof. So I was able to get um, a car with a small down payment with a 0% APR because my credit was so good because I was able to pay it off with the unemployment money. So now I have a 2019 Jetta. My other car was like leaking oil and just on its last legs. And so that was like the most positive thing (laughs) that's happened out of this. Um,
0: Congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. It has heated seats. It's like a whole new world out there. Don't have to use an aux cord. It's just Bluetooth. (laughs) Uh, I
0: I can't wait for you to get back on the open mic scene and the comedy scene and everyone ask you for rides.
1: Oh my, oh, my God. Right. I know. I got so tired of that. Like, I finally was like, if you live in the same like neighborhood, not even the same neighborhood. I like if you live in the same quadrant as me, I will take you home. But beyond that, I'm like, I'm not. Yeah. Although last few years, I did make like $50 giving people rides because it was so expensive to take
0: over. Yeah. I, I think I, – I remember, I remember doing stuff like that. I think my friend Steve Magnuson, who we, we both know, yeah. uh, he would I, – I got – it was like during the – there was a big ice storm during Portland. I think it was like 2017, 2018. Big ice storm. Snow and ice everywhere. I think everything shut down. And I was drinking, and I didn't know – what was happening. And I was at a bar and hanging out with some other friends. And then I'm like, I'll give you money. If you pick me up. And he's like, okay. And we just like, he just came, pick me up.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm I'm willing to help my friends help me around if I can pay them a little money. But also like I was in a, I couldn't drive home. It was like, you couldn't drive more than a mile in the ice. So it was nice to have friends everywhere in the city that would let me Airbnb for a couple hours in their house because I got, weirdly buzzed in you you know uh, area of portland that i wasn't familiar with so <laughs> i
1: mean they over serve in portland i mean like god bless them yeah it's like a drink and a half or like a double which is you
0: know i mean there's there's no i mean i always think i when i when i was thinking about like my difference between living in texas and living in oregon i was like there's a lot of reasons weed is legal and mushrooms are now legal and because yeah, yeah. there's no sun and there's sun here in texas and i'm like. It helps a lot. It helps seeing the sun.
1: I know it's the winter here is really hard on me, but, uh, you know, you get used to it. When I first moved here, I would go to the tanning bed and stuff. Um, and that, that helps a lot. But I mean, this year there's not even that options <laughs> yeah. out as much as I can during the day. Cause I don't have a job. So at least I'm not like stuck.
0: This is the palest I've been. And I live in a place with suns cause I've been inside my house all day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, uh, so we got off track a little bit, but that's okay. Cause that's, that's what this is. Um, that's what this is. Do you remember when, like I said, we were talking about your open mic and how, cause it is very hard to think about monetizing comedy at the beginning, but how, cause you had a show, don't you, you have multiple shows. You've had storytelling shows. You took fo- like photos at shows. You've had a successful open mic. How, how does, how does one kind of like, begin to make you don't have to get into specifics obviously this is just a podcast and i don't want you but like what what do you think is the best advice for up-and-coming comedians that want to kind of build a framework to make a little bit of money or to even think about some money in some kind of art whether it's performing or or adding on like adding doing photos which i always find for me what here in austin i'm like if anyone needs photos i'll give me a little bit of money and i'll take photos at your show and i'll make them look nice
1: yeah I mean, so yeah, definitely. Like, people gave me money to take photos at their show. I mean, I've taken pictures of you Mm -hmm. a bunch of shows, and that wasn't always my favorite thing to do because you can't use the flash most of the time. And so sometimes, like, uh, if the lighting, if there wasn't like a good spotlight or anything like that, the photos would look kind of. You know, I do the best I could, but it's like you can't just take photos like in the dark. Um, But so that was one thing. I've heard other people say merch. It's like a big thing. I know. So I ran um, my open mic. I got into it through Kelly Irwin. Like she basically just brokered a deal with a bar that she liked to go to that had a history of letting other people do comedy there. Um, And they had a monthly show there, but they were interested in in, in trying out uh, a weekly open mic just to see how it went. But, like, she and I were really good about promoting stuff on social media, and we would do, like, photo shoot, like fun photo shoots, and we tried to, like, kind of brand ourselves a little bit. Um, but, yeah, before this all shut down, we were talking about doing merchandise. Like, our, our show was called Screwed, and uh, Kelly came up with that name, and I'm like, how much fun would it be if we had, like, I don't know, if we sold, like, panties that said, you've been screwed on them, or <laughs> just, just, just corny stuff like that. Right? Yeah. like you know, I was really into us like being women. So I'm like, or we could have like tampon cases that say screwed on them, or just, just anything to brand yourself and to sell merchandise, just like make it clever, make it cute, make it fun. I think one thing about our our open mic, I always heard that stood out is that we try to be nice to people. And we just try to be encouraging. And uh, especially to like, newer, like female comedians and stuff like that, just be like, you know, you can come here, you're not going to have like people do gross shit to you yeah. or if they if someone does gross shit to you we will kick them out like you can feel safe here
0: i think i think that and like i said i've been to your show wonderful show by the way thank you so much for doing that in portland it's always nice to have a uh, a good spot for creativity and also just to feel like nothing bad's going to happen. I don't want to say, you know, safe space, whatever. Everyone has that buzzword in their head about it, but just a nice environment. Why can't we just say nice environment to do comedy and tell jokes? But the thing about merch is very interesting. It's less, because I used to think it's a little cheesy, but it's less that pe- less selling out and more that people want to be nice and support what you do, but mm-hmm. they don't just want to hand you money.
1: Right. I think that's exactly.
0: And you have to be okay with that. Like if you're a comedian, you sell CDs shirts, stickers, you do podcasts. You can have like a Patreon on a podcast or, or and it's just a way for people to appreciate your art. And there's nothing wrong. I feel like there's nothing. Like this is a free podcast. I don't ask anything from anybody, but if this was, I would like to have a paywall. And if they like the podcast, I'd be like, if you want, that's all I said. If you like the podcast, you like the stories. I feel like that's, I think you you both were getting very good at, I don't know. It just seemed like it was just very smart the way you were running your show, like I didn't even know that you were gonna have merch, but I always like I have no I have no problems when people do merch at their show. It doesn't yeah. bother me. I
1: mean, it was just something we talked about. But so like the way that we did monetize it, and like this is completely a deal that Kelly brokered with the uh, owner of the bar there, is that we got a percentage of the drink sales, and um so we I remember there some other people who ran open mics like being like kind of upset with like their venues finding out like you know, kind of the deal that we had because there's a lot of bars that were just like not giving them anything or they'd be like, here's two free drinks or whatever to like basically run this free service for us for two hours that bring in customers. And there's other people whose names I won't mention and, and bars I won't mention who basically were like, oh, we're not going to give you any money. And then they try to get them to come back and run a show and they realize how much revenue that the open mic brought
0: in yeah i mean and and i think also in comedy i uh knowing your worth is very important starting out
1: well so like yeah kelly like she she um she chose the Furkin tavern like very intentionally because like by like the proximity between um the lamp which started at like 10 o'clock or ten thirty at night and then also um helium that had the mic that started at 7 30 so like people who didn't get on the helium list because you know that was like a cure is curated but also kind of like a lottery um they could come to our mic then after our mic they could go to the lamp so like in in, the, in terms of like location of time and place it was like the perfect day and time to have an open mic and that way we could kind of accommodate everybody. Yeah. That was a- open mic it was three or four hours long which is i know
0: crazy. and i i appreciate like i said i always appreciated all the times that you put me up i think me and adam came in one time when i was getting ready to leave and you put me up graciously so thank you so much and thank you by the way to every open mic host who's ever hosted open mic you guys don't get enough credit so, it's a hard job yep you know what i
1: don't miss is people giving me all their little stinky colds <laughs> and you know just oh god it just I haven't had, like, like, knock on wood, I haven't had a cold since, like, last March because I'm not constantly breathing in people's, like, grossness on microphones.
0: I think it's going to be great. I think we're going to have to have, like, more sanitary mic stuff. Like, we're going to have to wipe things down more, and I'm all for it. I don't want to smell a mic anymore past Um, COVID times.
1: No, I don't either. I mean, if we ever did the open mic again, I would just have my own mic the entire time. Yeah
0: shake
1: hands of people uh, I mean, this month we were doing like the elbow bump but
0: i can't wait to figure out the post-covid greeting and all that stuff so uh this has been uh, i've been really wonderful we're getting ready to wind down is there anything that like any job that uh, of your history that we haven't discussed that you'd like to touch on that was like really important to your life
1: yeah, because I kind of like wrote some stuff down. Um,
0: yeah, of course. I'm sorry we got on a tangent. And we were like, it was just so much fun getting to know. Like I said, I'm gonna go- so so many things. I'm gonna Google about photography and about Pepsi now. That I just enjoyed our time so much.
1: It's so funny because I didn't even think about talking about any of those jobs that I had when I was a teenager. Um, but yeah, I did. I did want to talk about um, just like briefly when I was a bartender at this place in Alabama called Doc's Seafood Shack 2 which was a seafood buffet in a mini mall that was on a swamp. Um, and I got, <laughs> got hired there without any bartending experience. Although I, did, I had worked as a cocktail waitress um, at a different bar in Georgia uh, called Bernie's Raw Bar. Um, and we had oysters there. And then at this place, um, Doc's Seafood Shack, they were looking for a bartender that also knew about oysters. So I did, I did know about that. And I did know how to make like a basic drink. But um, I ended up working there because my fr- I asked my friend if she could help me find a job at the beach for the summer. And she called her boss and the boss is like, we need, we need a woman bartender who looks really good in shorts and is like young and hot and can like keep the customers there talking. And she's like, say no more fam. And she's like, let me send my friend. I was like 22. And I was like, I was so honest with the guy that was hiring Ron. I was like, look, I was like, I can make like basic drinks, you know, from being a cocktail waitress, but I can't make anything fancy. He's like, that's not a problem. He's like, most people just order like Jack and Coke or a Bud Light. He's like, anything you don't know how to make, the other bartender can tell you how to do it. Like you can look it up. He's like, we just want someone hot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do like how you said like, keep them talking. I, I bartended too. That definitely is a skill that you have to like, Like you know what, that drink keeps going down as the night progress. If you can get them talking, they need to wet their whistle and keep talking to the bartender. And like, what that that's a very good. I didn't even think about. I even put two and two together on that one. Yeah,
1: just being like friendly and you know hospitable. And uh, so you know, it was kind of a culture shock when I moved here because I thought some of the bartenders are real fucking rude here. Like every time. why? I just got a wild hair at my ass and I wanted a cosmopolitan. And like, yeah, I know sex in the city hadn't been on the air for like eight fucking years or whatever. But this guy was like, Ugh like scoffed at me when I ordered it. And there was like no one in his bar. And I was like, um, excuse the fuck out of you. I was like, "I'll walk the fuck right out of here. I was like, if you think you're too fucking good to make me. And then he just like shut the fuck up and made it. But I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, you're not motherfucker. There's like no. One in
0: here. Oh man. Uh, did you, what, what was your favorite night of being a bartender at doc seafood? Did you, did you, uh, have a memory that sticks out very yeah. early?
1: Uh, so, um, <laughs> my, my immediate, uh, manager <laughs> was, oh my gosh, he was amazing. Like so he, he was basically an, like a really functional alcoholic and he would <laughs> always call me about an hour before he got to work and be like, he's like, be like, Caroline, do you have my drink ready? And his drink was like an entire, like, you know, there's like gallons of like sweet tea they sell down at the South. I know people in other places probably haven't seen, but you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. So it would be half of one of those of sweet tea and then the other half would be vodka and I mixed it so that he could drink while he was working and nobody would realize that he was just drinking a, like an ice pick. That drink's called an ice pick the whole time. So he would get, re- <laughs> this is so terrible. And I will say this restaurant does not exist anymore. So <laughs> I'm not like fucking them over. He would get really drunk, and when customers would piss him off, he would hide behind me and stick his dick in their drink. I shit you the fuck not. And then there's so okay. So then one night after work, um, everybody was having like their shift drink, and this one girl was like, Oh, you didn't stir this. And I realized this girl liked it when she he stuck his dick in her drink. And I was like, That is like some of the most amazing ho shit I've ever heard. So, like, she
0: people saw this happen,
1: Yeah. yeah. And, like, no, he didn't pee in their drink or anything, but I was like, are you... I mean, like, it's just so fucking weird. So then I started calling him Swizzle Stick.
0: <laughs> well, that's a very appropriate nickname, by the way. By the way, also, what an informative little bit of a story. Ice pick, because I knew screwdrivers are orange and vodka, but I had no idea that, a, su- that a sweet tea in a vodka is called an ice pick. It is, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And also, only in the South you go to a bar called Doc Seafood where where there's already where where you're like, hey, there's not a dick in my drink. I don't want to drink it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I was like that. Wow. Because I just assumed nobody else knew about it. When she's like, she's like, you didn't stir this. Like like she could taste the difference between a rum and coke with dick and a rum and coke without dick.
0: Like I don't want to I don't want to invoke the Pepsi challenge because your mom still works there, but you know (laughs) yeah that's the penis challenge on that one that's so weird
1: it's and so how- weird it was one of the weirdest places i've ever worked and some of the weirdest fucking people i've ever met worked there and I, I loved it i loved how fucking weird it was
0: how long did you end up working there
1: so i worked there for six months like i worked there from march 2003 to september 2003 to save up money to move to portland
0: Nice. And, uh, do you ever remember a particularly night that was either good or bad? And then we'll wind it down from there. Like a night that you like, this is what I would really, if you could relive one day at doc seafood, or I would never want to relive either way. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in either, either.
1: Well, to be or. honest, like all the days kind of blended in together. I mean, there was always just kind of like funny shit happening there. Um, Uh, so like, okay, so in like, I don't know if this happens in Texas, but in beach towns in Alabama, there's more jobs that are open in the summer than there is the population of the town.
0: Yeah, that happens.
1: Yeah. So to fill in the deficits, they actually bring in people from the prison to work there, like low level offenders. So, I mean, this is the first time I'd ever really like interacted with people that were like incarcerated. And it's really sad too, like seeing how like marijuana is legal now in Oregon and stuff. I like if any of them lived in Oregon now, I
0: don't think any of them would have been. It's legal in like 32 states in some capacity. So it's crazy to think like, it it makes me, hopefully when it gets legalized, hopefully I would think, it sucks that the current administration that's coming in in January doesn't want to legalize it nationwide because I feel like that's just, eh, you know, you got to be happy with what you can have right now. You're like, okay, great. Silver lining on that. It's not that other thing, you know? Yeah. So-
1: They were always pretty funny um
0: did you have a did you have a regular that was your favorite at docks that would um, come in
1: there was um this hairdresser they used to come in he would drink he would uh always drink gray goose on the rocks and would get um a dozen oysters and he always like tipped too much he always came in at happy hour and he's always like buying other people drinks and he did my hair one time and but <sighs> he fucked it up so bad i will never get my hair <laughs>
0: What? How did it look? What was it?
1: I mean, I will, I will say in his defense, it is hard to cut hair down there just because of the humidity. It's like, it could look amazing when you leave it and it's gonna look like shit. It just like, I mean, it was just all these like fucked up ass, like Farrah Fawcett <laughs> wings that like flipped. Oh, God.
0: Very, very Xanadu roller rink kind of vibe.
1: Exactly, but it's like it would do that on its own without any hair story in it. Like, how <laughs> on earth you fuck up someone's
0: head that anyway <laughs> well that's that's amazing uh i i think like i said i've been i've been doing this podcast now for a long time and now we've been talking for about a, over an hour and we've just run out of time but i just think we should maybe think about more jobs in the future we could definitely have a part two because like i've talked to people and i'm like there's just so much you could talk about about jobs that don't encapsulate someone's full life in just 60 minutes. And now we've been going a little over, we're about a minute and uh, an hour and six minutes in, and it's just been such a fun day. Thank you so much for doing this with me.
1: I mean, it's weird to think I've been working for 25 years. Oh
0: my God. And, And that a recession would, knock on wood, help you out enough to get a new car. So that's great
1: know, right, I finally like get something.
0: <laughs> uh, where can people find uh, all your stuff, your photography, your comedy, everything about you, let people know.
1: Um, If you wanna follow my Instagram for my photography, I would love that, it's at starry-eyed Carolina um, on Instagram. Uh, I don't really have like too much comedy stuff up right now, but I mean, maybe in a year you can come do my open mic at the Firkin Tavern.
0: There you go. There, uh it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll I will definitely make sure to tag uh your photography Instagram on that, stuff like that. Uh thank you so much for doing it. This has been so much fun.
1: Thank you. Thanks for
0: having me. Yeah, no problem. And uh we'll talk to you very soon. I'll hopefully i hopefully be in Oregon in uh August of twenty twenty one if everything works out. So Oh I
1: hope so. Hopefully, I mean something's gotta get by then, right?
0: <laughs> and we'll 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 next time we'll see each other, we'll share a Pepsi.
1: Okay. Well mine's gonna be a diet Pepsi.
0: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.